Welcome to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's student pastor Evan Sastar. Usually I begin um, my sermons with a funny story in which I like try and make fun of myself in some kind of way and then spiritualize it. Um, but, but today I, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to tell you a personal story, but just about something that someone did for me and my family that really meant a lot to us. Um, last year, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away. And we had his funeral here at the church, and we had a very special guest at our funeral. The the general overseer of the Church of God, Dr. Tim Hill, attended my grandfather's funeral. And the reason that this means so much to us is we belong to a denomination called the Church of God based out of Cleveland, Tennessee. And so kind of the highest position is the general overseer. And so that day, he made it a point to come to my grandfather's funeral. But what was really neat is he was all the way in Cleveland, and he actually got on a plane, flew to Anderson, spoke at my grandfather's funeral, comforted us as we were mourning and grieving, and then went back to Cleveland. What made it even more special to us is I don't remember the exact timeline, but just a few days after that, he would have to get on a plane and fly out to, I believe it was San Antonio, to what's called the General Assembly, which is where every pastor in our denomination meets at basically a long business meeting that he has to preside over. I mean, his schedule was filled up, and yet he got on a plane and came to my grandfather's funeral. And when I think about Dr. Hill, what he could have done, he could have easily just recorded a video and sent it in, and we could have played it at the funeral. He could have easily just called my grandmother and my father and, you know, shared his condolences and prayed for them over the phone. He could have easily just spoken to our state overseer, who's 30 minutes away in Malden, and said, just, you know, give, give my condolences for me. But he made it a point that he wasn't going to send somebody else but that he himself, though possessing the highest position in the denomination, having every reason not to show up, would come to my grandfather's funeral to join us in our mourning and our grieving. And honestly, that meant so much to me and my family. We already respected him for his position, but because of his actions, I respected him so, so much more. And I tell you that story today because I think what Dr. Hill did for me and my family that day looks a lot like what Jesus has done for you and I. You see, on our own, we are in sin and in death. We are in need of a Savior. We're in need of a Deliverer. Not only that, but the world we live in is a world filled with grief, a world filled with suffering, a world filled with sorrow. And 2,000 years ago, God did not just send a messenger. 2,000 years ago, God did not just send a kind letter to comfort us. But 2,000 years ago, God himself put on human flesh and he stepped into this sinful, dark, broken world to comfort and save you. And it's, Go ahead and give him praise. And it's because God became a man that we may be forgiven. 
It's because God shed his blood that our sins could be uh, forgiven and covered. It's because God took our human nature and resurrected it that we have hope. And because God joined us in our suffering. Though many of you are suffering today, in body, in mind, you're grieving, you're in sorrow, the God of the universe can say, daughter, son, I've been there too. And I'll tell you what, a God like that is worth worshiping and trusting in all that we do. So church, if you would, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? I'm going to read a lengthy passage of scripture. And then after that, I want to share to you kind of the structure of the sermon today. It's going to be a little bit different than what we usually do. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel. 
in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Excuse me, forever. Thank you. You could be seated. Isn't God's word so good? I mean, we could just read that and go home. I want to share with you today the, the, the structure of my sermon. Typically, when I preach, what I would do is I would take a passage of Scripture just like that, and then we would go verse by verse, and I would expose the truth of every verse, and then I would share about how that applies to our lives. But today, I want to do something very, very different. The first half of the sermon today is going to be about church history. It's going to be a fun little history lesson, and we're all going to have a good time, and we're going to go to the deep end of the pool, but it's going to be a great time. Then the second half of the sermon, we're going to do what's called biblical theology. You might be like, Evan, isn't all theology supposed to be biblical? It's just a fancy term for this. Rather than taking a magnifying glass and studying three or four verses as intensely as we can, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to zone out and look at kind of the whole span of Scripture and say, what can all of Scripture teach us specifically about Mary? If I had to describe today's sermon, it's what happens when you give a Bible nerd Mother's Day to preach, okay? That's just, that's it, okay? So today, first, we want to ask this question, is Mary the mother of God? And if Mary can be rightly called the mother of God, what does it mean for you and for me? So let's dive into church history. In the early 400s AD, it was a common title to, revert, to refer to the Virgin Mary as in Greek, Theotokos, and that means God-bearer. Or for us, we can say Mary, the mother of God. It was very common language. But then came along a man named Nestorius. And Nestorius is the bad guy in our story. He was a monk for a while until he eventually became the patriarch or the bishop of the city of Constantinople. And he decided he didn't like this title for Mary. That she was called the God-bearer. That just seemed a little bit too intense. That didn't seem right. Because when we dive into what Nestorius actually believed about Jesus, Nestorius didn't actually believe that Jesus was God. Here's what Nestorius believed and why he wanted to refer to Mary instead of mother of God as the Christotokos, the mother of Christ. You see, he believed Jesus was a good man. He believed Jesus was an anointed man. He believed Jesus was a man filled with the Spirit of God, but he believed that Jesus was only a man. You see, if you ask Nestorius, what was in Mary's womb when she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit? He would say a human being, flesh and blood and bone. Everybody in this room would agree. But here's the problem. When you ask Nestorius, who was in Mary's womb? He'd say it's just another human person like you and me. That person didn't exist. Then when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, he did exist. Can I put it in plain language for y'all? Nestorius said Jesus was just another dude. He's just a human being like you and I. And then he said what happened later is that this dude, just another dude, like you and I, was born of the Virgin Mary. But then at some point, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the Logos, filled this dude named Jesus up with his special presence. 
And now Jesus' mind was conformed to the mind of God the Son. And this dude, Jesus' will, goes along with whatever God the Son's will is. And whatever God the Son tells this random dude, Jesus, to do, well, he says, you know what, I guess I'll do it. And wherever God the Son tells this random new Jesus to go, he's like, you know what, I guess I'll go there too. And whatever God the Son tells this dude Jesus to say, he's like, all right, I guess I'll say it. He says that Jesus is just a dude, but God the Son is just a little puppet master telling him what to say and where to go and what to do. But at the end of the day, Jesus is just a dude. Everybody following me? Right? I kind of think about it like this. Um, Dr. Stephen J. Wellam describes it as, um, a, a, imagine a major company. And you've got um, the face of the company, who's a super charismatic, super attractive, well-spoken, amazing front man of the company. And he tells everybody he's the founder and the CEO. And then he comes out and he can sell a product like nobody's business. And he's got a chiseled face and he's absolutely just jacked and buff. He looks so much like me. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Me and my brother Jaron, side note, played pickleball with two old dudes this weekend, and they walked up and jokingly said, now which one of the brothers works out in the gym? And then looks at Jaron. Come on, dude. Regardless, right, imagine you've got this amazing front man who's so attractive and says everything, but behind the scenes, there's a real CEO who actually owns the company, who actually knows how everything works and tells the front man everything he's supposed to say. Y'all follow me? That's when the stories believe about Jesus. Or you hear that common phrase, and this is a good phrase, this is a popular phrase, you know, behind every great man is an even greater woman, you know, right? When you see a man, what you're really seeing is the positive influence and impact that the woman in his, that in his life has had on him. But I thought I would make it um, a little bit visual today and I didn't really want to walk out with this because I thought it might be a little bit weird. I asked our kids' pastor, Pastor Amy, if I could borrow this puppet. And I'm not going to lie, this is the creepiest thing on planet Earth. Look at this dude. He's supposed to be a superhero, but his eyes, like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what's been going on. He looks a little under the influence. We'll just say that, you know? He's just a little scary looking. And then this is the biggest puppet I've ever seen in my life. I have no idea what the F stands for, right? But hello, my name is Frank, the superhero. Nice to meet everybody in the room today, right? What you see is Frank, the superhero. But the reality is, is the only reason Frank, the superhero, is saying what he's saying is because my hand is doing this and I'm telling him what to say. He's not the real thing. Nestorius says that Jesus is not God. He's just a dude who's being bossed around by God. Which means Mary is not the mother of God. She's the mother of some dude named Jesus that gets bossed around by God. Here's the problem with that. If Jesus is just a dude... Why do I care that he lived a sinless life? What's that got to do with me? In fact, he couldn't do it if he's just a dude. 
If Jesus is just a dude, why do I care that he shed his blood on a cross? What's that got to do with me? That's just the blood and the death of some random dude. If Jesus is just a dude, what do I care if he rose up from the grave three days later? Good for him. Happy for him. What's that got to do with me? Nothing. So in 431, it was called the Council of Ephesus. The church got together, represented by all of the pastors, and they condemned Nestorius and his teaching. And they upheld what the church has always believed. That 2,000 years ago, what was in Mary's womb was a human being, flesh and blood, like you and me. But listen to me, who was in Mary's womb was not just some dude, was not a created person, was not any old guy, but the second person of the Trinity, the eternal God who without giving up his divinity took on humanity that he may deliver me. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, did not stop becoming God. He just also became man. He became one person with two natures at the same time that he held up the, the entire universe by the word of his power. He was a little baby boy in a manger. And God became man to save you and me. And why is that good news? If Jesus is God, it means that although God and humanity have been separated by our sin, God and humanity have been joined together again by Jesus Christ, and you can be adopted into the family of God. If Jesus is God, it means that he lived a sinless life because he's perfect and he has the authority to say, okay, now my righteousness is your righteousness and you're righteous in my sight. If Jesus is God, it means that he who died on the cross shed the blood of God with infinite value and infinite power to wash away my sins forever. If Jesus is God, it means God God became a man and went toe-to-toe with death for me in my stead. And if he's risen again, then I can rise again too. If Jesus is God, it changes everything. And I'm so thankful that Jesus is not just a good man, but he's the God-man. And I thank God that Mary is the Theotokos, the mother of God. Because if Mary is the mother of God, then Jesus is God, my Savior, delivering me forever. But I believe that this comforts us in another way. Not only did God become man to deliver us from our sin, but I believe this concept that God became man can comfort us in our deepest suffering. People ask all the time this major question that I don't have a good answer for. If there is a good God, why is the world so dark and so sinful and so evil? I don't know. I don't have a philosophically precise enough answer for you. I can't give it to you. I don't know. But here's what I do know. 
than in the midst of a dark and broken and messed up world. God is not standing back, cold-hearted, detached, not caring about what his creation has gone through. But God himself became a man and entered into our suffering. That the Bible calls him a man of sorrows. God himself witnessed people demon-possessed before he cast them out. God himself stood over the bed of a dead 12-year-old girl while his family mourned before he raised her up again. God himself came into contact with lepers who were excised from their community and couldn't be around anyone. God himself stood outside of the tomb of his best friend Lazarus and wept because he was dead. Jesus understands your temptation. The Bible says he was tempted but without sin. He knows what it's like to look Satan in the face as he's calling him away from a life of suffering and death and saying, just follow me and you can escape it. And Jesus says, no. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Nowhere to lay his head in his three years of ministry. His own hometown rejects him as God and Lord just because. He's betrayed by one of the inner 12 named Judas who sells him into death for some money. The very same God who fashioned humanity after his own glorious image was hanged on a cross while Jew and Gentile alike uh, agreed that he should be crucified and killed. Jesus tasted suffering. He knows what it's like for his body to hurt as they whipped him and they beat him and they put a crown of thorns on his head. He knows what it's like to suffer death. He knows what it's like to be in the tomb. I don't know why God has allowed this world to be the way that it is, but I know that God gets it from experience. And this morning, you may be hurting in your body begging for healing. This morning, you may be grieving in your soul because you've lost that loved one. You've lost that spouse. You've lost that parent. This morning, you may feel rejected by the person who was supposed to be in your life the most. And I can't tell you why that happened, but I can tell you when you hit your knees and tears are streaming down your face, the God you're praying to says, son or daughter, I get it. I've been there too. He can comfort us in our weakness. But the second thing that I would like to do with Mary is I want to observe Mary as an example of our faith. And then what I want to do is I want to kind of zoom out and see how Mary can um, compare to all these other wonderful mothers of faith in the scripture. You see, Mary was um, a, a young girl in her day. She was engaged to be married to Joseph, but she wasn't married at the time and she was a virgin. And then all of a sudden an angel comes and says, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. You're going to have a son. And man, this is scary. I mean, this is terrifying. In fact, she's not doubting. She asks, how's it going to work? Like, I'm a virgin. Can you explain this to me? And then the angel's like, well, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, and then you're going to conceive a son. And Mary is this just ideal vision of humility and faith. In fact, that's what her whole song is about. 
that she is humble, and yet she trusts in the word of the Lord. Let it be done to your maidservant according to your word. The word of the Lord comes, presents some incredible challenges, but in humility and faith she believes in Christ himself, the life of the world is formed in her. But what we can do is we can realize that this is not the first time this kind of thing has happened in the Bible. If we have a good understanding, we can kind of zoom out and realize God has a history of working with women who are unable to have children and giving them children for a glorious and specific purpose. And we can see that those women, those mothers, are often examples of faith. If I can help you read your Bible today, we can draw so much from the story of Mary by knowing the whole story of the Bible. I want to encourage you, be a reader of the word and be a reader of the whole word. The more you know from Genesis to Revelation, it will just highlight individual Bible passages that you read in your own devotional time. The Bible has many human authors, but one divine author. And if we read it knowing that God is sending us messages all throughout the scriptures, speaking to our souls to enliven us and strengthen us, the Bible is good literature. I kind of think about it like this. I hope this can help you read your Bible. Um, I am not afraid to admit it, but recently I've become a bit of a comic book nerd. Like, I'm just a nerd, and I love it. It is so much fun. Superheroes are awesome. I don't care what you say except for this guy. Frank's terrifying. But most of the other superheroes are awesome. right? But probably the most recognizable superhero other than Batman is Spider-Man. right? Everybody's probably heard of Spider-Man. right? He's, he's, he's huge. Well, in Spider-Man's origin story, he's Peter Parker. And he lives with his Aunt May and his Uncle Ben. And right before his Uncle Ben tragically dies, what does he tell Peter? Peter... With great power comes great responsibility. Now, this is not just a one-off for Peter Parker. This is not just something that, you know, encourages him every now and then. This becomes the theme in all of the Spider-Man comics. No matter what individual story you find yourself in, no matter what little, um, you know, thing that's happening in Peter's life, no matter what villain he's fighting, the same theme pops up again and again and again and again. With great power comes great responsibility. Why does Peter have to wear a spider suit and look like kind of goofy? Because if people know who he is, they'll go after his family. So with great power comes great responsibility. He has to hide himself. Why does Peter often have to break up with his girlfriend, Mary Jane? Well, she knows that he's Spider-Man, and it causes too much danger, and he doesn't want her to die, so he breaks off the relationship. Why? Because with great power comes great responsibility. Peter is basically a genius. His dad's a scientist, but half the time he's failing in high school because he's beating up some bad guy rather than sitting in math class. Because with great power comes great responsibility. He loves Gwen Stacy, but he's trying to fight all the other villains. And eventually, tragically, Gwen dies. He can't do everything. With great power comes great responsibility. Do you see what I'm saying? There is a common theme that no matter what story you find yourself in, pops up again and again and again. What I want to do for you is teach yourself to read the Bible that way. There's not just one theme. There's like a bazillion themes. And if you will read as an as a, a intentional reader, 
you will begin to pick up on what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation and see it again and again and again and again. And we realize Mary's not an isolated incident. Let me give you an example. All the way back in Genesis, the world is spiritually dead. The people are serving pagan gods. They are in need of blessing and salvation. And God shows up to a couple, Abraham and Sarah. And just like the world around her was spiritually dead, Sarah was very old and her womb was dead. She was unable to conceive a child. But just like Mary, the Lord shows up. He speaks a word of promise. Abraham and Sarah, in humble faith, believe the word of the Lord. And in a dead and dying world, and in a dead and fruitless womb, God conceives life. And she has a son named Isaac. And God promises that not only will you be blessed, not only will Isaac be blessed, not only will your generations be blessed, but someone's coming from your lineage who will bless the world. And 2,000 years ago, a Jewish man named Jesus Christ, a descendant from Abraham and Sarah, came to be the life and blessing of the world. We can think about another woman named Hannah at the beginning of 1 Samuel. Hannah is a righteous woman, but Israel is not a righteous people. They've turned their back on God. The priest Eli is basically like a lazy guy. His sons are even worse. They're actually very wicked people taking advantage of their religious position. The people of the day have turned their backs on God. In fact, it gets so bad that at one point, the glory of God quite literally leaves the land. And we find ourselves with another woman named Hannah with a barren womb. And she's crying out to the Lord, Lord, please, please give me a child. Please give me a son. If you give life to my womb, I'll consecrate him to you forever. And what happens? The Lord works a miracle. And in a dead and dying land, and in a dead and dying womb, life is conceived. She has Samuel, who is a prophet, a priest, and a king. He preaches the word of the Lord to a wicked people. He sacrifices rightly in worship of the Lord. He is a judge, a ruler who rules the people in righteousness. And 2,000 years ago, the Lord showed up to the Virgin Mary, spoke life into her womb, and Jesus Christ is our prophet, priest, and king who preaches the word of the Lord in a dead and dying land, who offers himself as a sacrifice on a cross, who is not a judge, but a king who rules eternally in justice and righteousness forever. Then he shows up much closer to Mary, to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is too old to have children, but he promises her husband, Zechariah, you will have a son. And though he doesn't believe, she does. She conceives in the midst of a dead and a dying land and a dead and dying people and a dead and dying womb, John the Baptist is conceived, filled with the Spirit of God in her womb, and she makes the way, he makes the way for the Lord. And then we get to the Virgin Mary, who although her womb is not dead, it is fruitless. She is unmarried and she is a virgin. But what happens? The Lord shows up speaks a word, 
in humble faith she believes. But this time, it's not just anybody. This time, it's not someone pointing forward to somebody. This time, it's the real thing. And within her, the life of the world is conceived. And through her womb, the nations are blessed. And I'm telling you today, in much the same way, when the word of the Lord comes to you and preaches the gospel, that though you are dead spiritually and you are separated from God, in humility when you repent and in faith you believe, Christ is formed in you the hope of glory. And through your faith, you are delivered and saved and given life forever. But I want to make one last point on this faith. We are saved by faith alone, but listen to me, faith is never alone. God tells Sarah, I'm going to give you a son, but you got to trust me. Get up and move out of your land to a place you've never been. Hannah is trusting God for a son, but she has no word from the Lord. And she's just saying, God, please do a work in me. Elizabeth is told you will have a son, but her own husband didn't even believe at the beginning. Mary is told you will conceive a son, but she's an unmarried virgin. She's facing the destruction of her reputation. She's facing the end of her potential marriage. God, are you sure? Yes, I believe. And today I call on you to trust in the Lord no matter what it looks like. Evan, I just became a Christian. And and me and my boyfriend or me and my girlfriend are living together, but I want to do things the right way. And I don't know how it's going to work out financially. And I don't know what the repercussions are. All I know is I trust God that his way is the way of life. And I'm moving out till we can do things right. Evan, I I don't make a lot of money. But I know that God calls me to sow into the kingdom. To bless those who are less fortunate than me. And I wish I could hold on to it. But I trust that God's way is the way of life. And so I give it believing him instead. Evan, at my company, now they're not just asking me to tolerate LGBTQ plus uh, views. They're asking me to be vocal about it and promote it. And I've got a family to feed. And, man, I've got to keep this roof over my head. But all I know is the way of life is much better than the way over here. And so, Lord, I trust you. Do what you got to do. And I know everything's going to be okay. I call you to draw on the faith of these mothers in the faith. That like Sarah and Hannah and Elizabeth and the Virgin Mary, you would say, Lord, let it be done to me, your servant, according to your word. And trust that the spirit overshadowing you and Christ formed in you will be all that you need. So church, would you stand today? I want to give you an opportunity to respond in the altar. I want to ask the band to come out and, and to play and to sing. And, and in just a few moments, when I invite you down, I just kind of want you to spend time on two things. Maybe you can relate that right now you're in a, a period of suffering. That right now you feel like the Lord has ignored you. You feel like he's nowhere to be found. Maybe you're kind of, you're on your last straw, like you're hanging on by a thread. Would you come down here and pray and meditate Think of the God who stepped into your suffering. And would your faith be built on the knowledge that God gets you to? And two, if you're in a situation just like Sarah or Hannah or Elizabeth and Mary, maybe today you recognize you're spiritually dead, like you are a sinner. 
Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. I want to encourage you in these altars, repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And trust that he will form spiritual life in you when you repent and believe. But maybe it's the circumstances you're under. Maybe it's, God, I, I, I need you to step in right now. God, I need you to deliver me out of this situation right now. God, I need you to give me the courage to do the right thing right now. I say, Lord, would you give me the faith of the mothers and the faith that I may trust you no matter what. So come on, if you would, and every person, come on, would you step down to the altars right now? And everybody in the room, no matter who you are, would you step down to these altars? Whether it applies or not, come on, would everybody in the room step down? And as the band begins to sing, would you take time to meet with the Lord? To converse with Him. To ask the Lord to build your faith. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.